Good morning. Hi, good morning. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Good, thanks. I feel like we have the same kind of background going on. <laughs> yeah, it looks like we're in the same room. Right? That's a good look. That's a good look. It's a good way to start the day. This is my special. Um, I'm in a meeting, empty, empty wall, so. I love it. It's, this is actually a projector screen. Um, oh. But it gives the illusion of a clean wall. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, the, going for the cream colors. It's, it's very in. Yes, absolutely. Off-white, you know, off-white. Um, so thanks so much for taking some time to kind of connect and chat with me today. I appreciate um, your flexibility on timing and uh, being so responsive. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, of course. And again, thank you for using your platform to you know highlight organization. It, it really does mean a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an important issue that um, doesn't get enough attention. And so I'd just like to kind of chat with you a little bit about, um, well, maybe we should just start with like, what is the, you know, tell us a little bit about the Asylum Project, tell us a little bit about you, uh, what's your kind of mission statement for the organization, and, you know, tell us a little bit about your role um, with the LGBT Asylum Project. So first I'll introduce myself. My name is Andres Molina. I'm the Communications Director at the LGBT Asylum Project. I've you know, been with the organization for a little over a year now, so I joined kind of in the middle of the pandemic, and really my job is this, to kind of speak to organizations and people who want to know more about the LGBT Asylum Project, and um, as kind of the leader of the communications team, um, my job is outreach and really raising awareness about our organization. But uh, a little bit about the LGBT Asylum Project, we're the only San Francisco-based nonprofit organization exclusively dedicated to providing accessible legal representation for LGBTQ plus asylum seekers who may be fleeing due to their sexual orientation, gender identity, or HIV status. So the organization was founded in 2015 by two attorneys, Wukong uh, Shengben, our current executive director, and Brooke Westling, our current legal director and organization was really founded because they saw a critical need for accessible legal representation among vulnerable immigrant populations such as the ones that you know we serve now and um, we originally actually started by helping Nigerian asylum seekers mm. and this is our seventh year you know op in operation we're proud to have expanded our reach with our clients um, we've helped people in the Bay Area from 30, over 30 different countries, and they range from Latin America to Asia, the Middle East, and of course, our roots in Africa. That's amazing. And so maybe you could break down for us a little bit, too. I think a lot of people have um, questions on what the difference between a refugee and an asylum seeker is, um, especially with the um, you know crisis and war going on between Russia and Ukraine. A lot of people are now kind of waking up to, you know, immigrants, refugees, um, asylum seekers, if you could just kind of differentiate what those um, different applicants might look like. Yeah, so we exclusively deal with asylum seekers and, you know, kind of, for kind of the average person, they do associate asylum seekers and refugees as the same kind of status, which, which is not, it's not, um, I think there's very, there's many similarities because they're fleeing from their home countries. But right. to specifically to apply for asylum, you need to be physically present in the U.S. So either you know you're I guess here in the Bay Area, mm. or um, maybe you come to the border and say, "Hey, I need to apply for asylum." As opposed to refugees, 
who are usually in their maybe in their in their home country or in a third kind of transit country and they have to apply for refugee status. Another kind of big difference is that the US does not have a kind of cap on how many asylum seekers we can accept. Mm. Usually every year um, they will set kind of you know 20, 200,000 refugees that we can accept. So that changes, but um, there's not a cap for seeking asylum. Okay, amazing. That's great. Uh, that's a that's a really great point to to make there. Um, so you said the um, organization, the project, really started with um, uh, like the heart in like kind of in Nigeria. Is there a particular reason um, that the founders really started working with the Nigerian population? Sorry, you cut out for like. 30 seconds. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, so is there a reason why the founders really started with Nigeria, the Nigerian population? Was there something that really connected them to, um, to that population and to the kind of concerns happening there? So I, I was not with the organization at the time, but um, I just know that they, you know, they had kind of a legal practice, like a traditional kind of um, law firm. And, um, you know, they would get clients who just I think could not you know afford legal services so right. asylum depending on uh, kind of who your attorney is can cost up to ten thousand dollars to kind of be led through the process and um, they knew that they needed a, cha a change and i think it started with um just a few nigerian clients and then they you know saw the bigger picture yeah there. absolutely it's amazing and so the process is very expensive as you were just kind of saying what are some of the kind of nuances of um, and challenges of um, applying for asylum? I know it's like a very ever-changing so, process. So I think, um, you know, for those who don't know what asylum is, um, I can give kind of a brief breakdown first. Yeah, I think um, that'd be great. So it, it is similar to, to being a refugee. So often people, I think a big misconception is that uh, most asylum seekers are, are fleeing genocide or, you know, a war-torn country, which... Um, it's not specifically that. So asylum is a special protection by the U.S. government for people who have suffered harm or fear that they will suffer harm due to their race, religion, nationality, political opinion, and membership in a particular social group. So that's where LGBTQ plus people would fit into that status. And um, like I mentioned before, to be a to apply for asylum, you need to be physically present in the U.S. And there's a one-year deadline from the, when you first step into the U.S. So, for example, if you um, came to the U.S. in May of 2021, then you have until May of 2022 to submit your application, right? Mm -hmm. So a big hurdle for LGBT asylum seekers is this one-year deadline. So a big issue with asylum in general is just that there's not a lot of people know that they can apply for asylum. Right. So... We have many clients who, you know, they've either heard about it, but they weren't sure if it was safe. They were afraid they would be deported. Um, they weren't sure that this was for them. And there's people who honestly didn't even know that was an option because when you put yourself in kind of somebody else's shoes, um, the ability to say, you know, I'm an LGBTQ plus person and to go to the government and say, you know, this is, you know, this is who I am. Let me stay is completely foreign. Right. For the most part, in their home country, they would be, um, they were, 
you know, suffer terrible consequences. So I think that's that's a major hurdle. And when you when we talk about asylum seekers, for example, if you're fleeing due to your race, political opinion, um, you know, the other criteria I mentioned before, you usually have the support of your community or your family. And LGBTQ plus asylum seekers are less likely to have that, right. you know, financial support, even emotional support. They come here um, with very little resources, uh, no one to talk to or relate to, basically no support system. So that's kind of why our organization offers pro bono legal help. So they can kind of focus, you know, what little resources they have on housing and um, food. Um, and we're very lucky in the Bay Area to be so well connected where we kind of know where to, um, where to send people if they you know, need housing or uh, even if they need mental health support, we have those connections. But um, that's the, the deadline is, is a huge barrier. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine if, like you said, if someone is fleeing their home country for fear of prosecution or, or you know, experiencing persecution, and then they're they're coming here, and then they have to kind of share that experience with the government. That can be a very daunting um, task, right? A very emotional task. Um, can you speak to a little bit about what kind of outreach you do to um, to create more awareness about the project and that you guys are there to assist them and then maybe some of the organizations that you partner with that you're kind of sharing that like holistic experience to make sure that they feel comfortable that they have the other kind of housing and food uh, mental services uh, things of that nature yeah so a little bit about organizations so our services really changed pre and or post pandemic so yeah pre-pandemic we we would have you know these great live events and monthly in-person clinics where people could come in, um, they would volunteer, they would, um, you know, get, um, kind of onboarded, um, ask legal questions. So we were, you know, being part of the community was huge for us. We're in the Castro and that was so important to us. So we were kind of, you know, at the, at the center of LGBT culture and part of, you know, the pandemic, we had to switch to kind of online services so we mm -hmm. did a really great job of switching to a virtual intake system but um we kind of lost that connection with our volunteers we relaunched our volunteer in-person volunteer program last month and that's you know people um you know, we love having them at our office but um we also love like i mentioned for any sort of kind of in-person events the castor street fair is our favorite it's um, secretly more fun than Pride. Uh, <laughs> we love that. It'll be our little the, secret. <laughs> yeah, we, we are the grand marshal of the 2020 Pride, which was virtual, but um, obviously that would have been great if it was in person, but uh, any sort of community event and, um, you know, we're rooted in the community and partnerships that promote systemic change and secure um, kind of a diverse representation for LGBT people are, are at our core. So, I mean, we partner with the City of San Francisco Human Rights Committee, uh, SF AIDS Foundation is doing amazing work. I really, really admire what they do. Uh, we're the fiscal sponsor for Padivar Bay Area that does work with uh, trans people in India as well as in our community. Uh, Golden Gate University, Equality California, we helped with um, COVID vaccinations and COVID outreach um, during the pandemic, or I guess we're still in the pandemic. <laughs> kind of when um, vaccines became available. 
uh, the City College of San Francisco, uh, the SF Gay Men's Chorus, um, Rainbow Street. Um, my two kind of in my personal work in as part of the communications team is um, I love sending people to the Asylum Connect app. It's a wonderful platform where if you're looking for legal help, uh, mental health support, medical help, um, housing, you you go on this app. It's the kind of the, the web version is a little better than the mobile app. I'm more familiar with that, but it's so easy. You click what you want um, and where you are and they'll find LGBT friendly kind of organizations that offer low cost or pro bono help. And I mean, you can find the LGBT Asylum Project, obviously, but it's it's such a great resource. It, it covers kind of most of North America. And I think they're slowly expanding to touch other parts of the world. So um, I really love Asylum Connect and I you know, sing their praises on any chance I get. That's an incredible app. I mean, I've never heard of it. And it sounds like a dream for someone that is you know, coming here, trying to create a new life or either, in, you know, anywhere in North America that may be fleeing their home country to have all of those resources in one space and then be able to connect with an organization like yours that can help them with pro bono legal work. That sounds like, you know, this kind of a beautiful, you know, Wizard of Oz dream um, under the rainbow, if you will, to, to have something like that. Um, what are some of the challenges that you guys run into uh, in terms of like government policy? Do you feel like there are challenges from administration to administration or is like asylum law pretty consistent over, you know, different presidential and congressional um, periods? So no, <laughs> on the administration. Yeah. So uh, I was not part of the organization during kind of the, the Trump era as I was kind of when I first joined was um, during the kind of the election. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I knew going in that my, my role would change depending on who, who won the presidency. So there was that, but I know from, from stories that I've heard from my team members, the Trump years were, were chaos and, you know, our legal team would wake up, you know, every other day and see changes. And then suddenly some of our clients are eligible for asylum. So, um, that was a that was a huge issue. Obviously, I mean, um, us and kind of the you know immigrant supporting community wants the Biden administration to, to do more. Um, right. Will not not be. We're expecting more to be done. Um, the backlog, uh, specifically just for for asylum, is mm -hmm. is huge. Um, I know Biden proposed ending the one year deadline, which we fully support, and. Um, adding funding to USCIS to, to hire more asylum officers, but I mean, the way our kind of really broken immigration system, mm. even just kind of the, how the country is run, it's right. stuck somewhere and, um, you know, in gridlock and, you know, we most likely won't, won't see that passed, but you, know, you just, you just never know. Um, but as far as kind of what the Biden administration is concerned, if, I think there's new regulation regulations being presented where if you present yourself at the border, you have the chance to um, have an asylum interview uh, now, as opposed to um, being put in uh, kind of immigration deportation proceedings. So mm. it's good because it's non-adversarial. Officers are supposed to be trained to interview trauma survivors to explore if there's a case. Um, it's unclear if they'll be able to hire enough 
uh, asylum officers to to get this done mm -hmm. and you know what happens to the kind of pending cases also so some a big part of um, kind of the damage that was done by the Trump administration also is that they um, we have cases from 2016 that are still pending wow. because they implemented a new rule that's basically um, so la LIFO last in first out that's mm -hmm. uh, so if you you know you applied like the the later you apply the the first you get hurt <laughs> so it just kind of threw the the order out of balance and now yeah. you have already a very slow process now taking more time so i mean we've had we have cases that are just still pending for over five years now and that's a really long time to, to put your entire life on hold yeah to you know not know if you have to go back to this country that you're fleeing that you know obviously is not safe for you so there's so much to be done and you know, just to the to the core of the question, it, it just changes for administration. I, I you know, my knowledge is only based on kind of what I've heard or right. through years and then now kind of what I'm living through um, by the administration and you know, title took forty two has been in the news a lot. And yeah. you know, depending on when this podcast airs, you know, how it's going will really just depend on Yeah. You know, it's it was supposed to, you know, if we spoke two weeks ago it's supposed to end in may right but i think there's also a hearing today on the return to, the, to mexico policy or the remain in mexico policy so yeah the thing about immigration is that it, it constantly changes um you never you know some state is always suing about something. <laughs> yeah um, we always um you know we're we trying to stay on top of that obviously but it's hard to speak to to something when it, it changes all the time and we last year actually we started helping uh, daca recipients mm -hmm. with, um, new and um, renewing their their permits and we helped them we helped new applicants for about three months and then you know that got swept under you know the rug was swept from under our feet and now they're not accepting new applications so we still help you know, uh, DACA recipients who, you know, have an existing, yeah, renewing it every, every two years, but, um, you know, that we, we helped new, we were, they were accepting new uh, applicants for about three months and then we barely got our program off the ground and then they stopped. So it's, so it sounds like an extremely challenging, um, role and organization on all kinds of fronts that, you know, like learning the new law trying to keep up with it and then also kind of trying to walk your your clients through what that process is they're already kind of in an emotional and traumatic state and then they're kind of living in that state right while they're waiting for their case to be um to be heard um and then it's constantly changing so that's got to be that's got to be pretty tough um all around um, I also know that asylum seekers are not allowed to um seek employment is that correct yeah, so basically, so we deal with affirmative asylum cases. Okay. So there's there's two types. So there's defensive and affirmative. Affirmative is if you came, you know, on a tourist visa, or if you um, came, you're a, you're an international student and you're mm -hmm. you're studying, and then, um, so basically, the U.S. government from the U.S. government's perspective, you are temporarily here, either traveling or studying, and when you um, 
file a an affirmative asylum case. You're telling the U.S. government, I'm here, I want to stay because I fear returning to my home country, and this is why. And we we do deal with some defensive asylum cases, um, but our organization and kind of every other organization really doing this work is um, a capacity with defensive cases. Mm -hmm. they're, they're more complex, they're more time-consuming, and defensive asylum cases are for people who kind of either turn themselves in at the border, they're caught, maybe caught uh, trying to cross the border, they're um, or caught in the U.S. as an undocumented immigrant, mm -hmm. uh, and the asylum is used as a defense mechanism to prevent them from being deported back to their home country. But right, um, and defensive asylum, the U.S. Con the U.S. government is actively trying to, to send them back to their country. So it's a, it's a full on trial. There's a judge. There's you know a prosecutor and um, the success rate on defensive asylum cases is very low because most of the time, you know, the asylum seeker has to represent themselves. Wow. So they either, you know, the U.S. government's not going to provide them an attorney. Yeah. And so they either represent themselves or, if, you know, if they can find, if they have the resources, which they usually don't, to, to hire an attorney, they, they would do that. So we definitely also kind of need more help in, in that front. And um, organization is um, kind of, pushing for that. Our local government here in San Francisco is very receptive to kind of what we need. So we're kind of working on um, getting LGBT immigrants under the radar of public defenders. If, yeah, you know, there's so much work that needs to be done, but, um, you know, we're, we're trying. That's sounds so that it's that sound very complex. It kind of reminds me of and this is not like a direct uh, parallel, but in my in my layman's understanding, is um, it kind of sounds almost like a rape victim, like in the '60s or '70s, when people didn't necessarily believe them, they didn't really like have um, the right uh, detectives or police officers to kind of interview them, understand what the process they're going through was. There wasn't really dedicated. Um, I I like Law and Order SVU, so that's why it's like clicking in my head. So I'm just thinking about you know not knowing the right questions to ask from like a government perspective on these um, defensive asylum seekers and, you know, not really having the proper tools and infrastructure to set up. And like you said, a lot of times it can get uh, conflated in terms of people that are, you know, trying to come into the U.S. versus true asylum seekers, right? You said that they sometimes use the cover of asylum. Um, so not saying that obviously not all of them, but there are, you were kind of mentioning that there are some times that they say things like that. So I can imagine that, um, you know, there's definitely needs to be more resources allocated to that. And I'm glad to hear that um, you guys are advocating for that and partnering with the, you know, local government, city government. Um, so that's, that's amazing. Um, what do you think is kind of along the terms of that? What do you think is the biggest concept misconception that people have about asylum seekers? So I think we kind of touched on that already a little mm -hmm. bit, the, the difference between asylum seeker and, and refugee. And also back to the, you know, a lot of LGBT people don't know that they can apply for asylum depending yeah. on obviously what country they're staying. Um, but if, if they're afraid to go back, they, they can present themselves to the U.S. government and say, Know, hey, I, I'm afraid to go to, to my back to my home country because X, Y, Z, and um, you know, I please let me stay. That's kind of a really simplistic breakdown of what the process is, but the 
I think a huge misconception is just that, you know, you can apply for this. We hear stories all the time that people say, you know, I heard that this might be an option, but I wasn't really sure. It took years for me to meet someone who, you know, went through the process and it was successful for them. So yeah. I think that awareness is, is really key to, uh, to asylum and just letting more people know that, hey, this, this is an option. And again, the, the one year deadline is such a huge barrier because, you know, you, you basically have, you come to the U.S., say, as a tourist or, or as an international student even, and you have one year to find out if, about the asylum process or else you know, you're no longer eligible. There's, there's ways around it. Um, you know, it's not, there's ways around the one year deadline, but um, you really need to speak to an attorney and that's you know, a whole other kind of um, really complex yeah and it sounds like you know the second you step foot into the country the clock is essentially ticking whether you know the clock is ticking or not i think what people would find um fascinating and horrifying is that it is still illegal to be homosexual in over 75 countries and that 13 countries actually impose the death penalty on um lgbt um uh, members uh people that identify as lgbt in the modern world and living in America with all the rights that we have, I think it's kind of mind blowing to people, the kind of human atrocities that, um, and human rights violations that are happening globally. Um, where do you feel, and this might be kind of a loaded question, but where do you feel like maybe some of the, um, the most egregious of, uh, um, aggressors of this kind of, um, like what countries are the ones that you see a lot of asylum seekers or what are the ones that you guys kind of watch out for? I know it kind of started with Nigerian, the Nigerian population, but what are some of the other countries? So recently from just my time in the organization, I know we've had an influx of um, LGBT asylum seekers from Brazil. So again, um, volunteers that speak Portuguese are really, really vital um, at the moment, just because, um, you know, sometimes English is not their uh, second language even. So right. uh, having somebody who can communicate in, in their language is really helpful. But um, it, I mean, is Brazil, you know, the number one threat to LGBT people? I, I, there's really no way I can link them. You know, it's not one of the ones that is actively trying to you know, murder LGBT people, but right. um, at least from the government's standpoint, but it's, it, you know, it's, it's not friendly towards LGBT people. And um, that's just recently where kind of we've had a huge influx of clients, but I mean, we, we've, like I mentioned before, we've had, we've had clients from over 30 different countries of the you know, 70 plus that you mentioned earlier. So, yeah. I mean, we're really proud to just have and able to serve such a diverse population. And, I mean, we've helped uh, gay men, lesbian wedding, uh, women, um, you know, bisexual people, uh, trans people, non-binary people. So the, the spectrum is very broad. So as you know, we want to reach out to as many people as we can. And uh, I, mean, I, I don't even, I wouldn't even know what, I learned a new country the other day, actually, uh, Oman. I didn't oh, know it was a country. I didn't know that it's a country either. We received an <laughs> asylum approval um, for, I believe it was a gay man from, from Oman. And I had to, I was like, is, I'm like, do they mean Omar? Did I get right. a type of it's, it's a country and you know, you learn something every day. Where is it located? Um, I don't remember. <laughs> I just that, uh, it is a country. I just wanted to, to double check, right? You know, about the announcement, but 
I believe it's in the Middle East. Okay. I can Google it real quick. It's just it seems like there's that. a lot of countries in the Middle East um, that are kind of anti-LGBT or have anti-LGBT stance. Um, and from just a quick reading, it looks like it's an interpretation of Sharia law um, that kind of presents that kind of perspective. I mean, uh, first of all, yes, Oman is in the in the Middle East. It's kind of <laughs> a little bit off um, the coast of uh, the um, United um, Arab Emirates. Okay. I believe is what um, but I mean, I think a huge um, actually. Something I can't speak to is British colonial law. Mm. So just tracing back to British colonialism, there's specific laws that have you know made their way to um, Malaysia and uh, Ghana even, where from just British colonialism, kind of what there's a very specific you know sodomy laws that uh, LGBT people were, were put in, kind of put in a box mm. and are still active today, and that's I think a huge root of um, persecution kind of internationally. Wow. This has been an incredibly illuminating conversation um, from new countries that I haven't heard of to kind of differentiations in asylum law and uh, different type of asylum seekers. Um, I so appreciate your time. As we kind of close out here, what are some of the um, things that the community can do to kind of better support you? I know you kind of mentioned the volunteer program just started up about a month ago. Um, you guys seem like you have an incredible kind of uh, root, uh, roots in the community, but what do you need from the greater public to be able to really maximize your reach um, and create more uh, conversation against um, defensive asylum um, seekers as well? So I think it's it's really important to I know it's difficult to you know stay you know updated on what's going on in immigration, but it's so important to just I mean one really generic cliche thing is get out and vote and make yeah. sure you know you're putting pressure on you know who, whoever is running to you know support LGBT immigrants and honestly the immigrant population in general. Um, I think two great resources are United We Dream and Informed Immigrants. Uh, they're two organizations that I you know, keep kind of close tabs on because it's part of my job. But <laughs> I think they do a really great job of breaking down what's going on. Uh, sometimes to um, you know to to the minute they'll be uh, from live tweeting you know kind of a, a hearing this morning I believe to um, kind of what's going on. So I think staying educated on what's going on in immigration. As far as our organization, if you're in the Bay Area, we'd love to have you for one of our volunteer days. Um, right now, they're um, bi bi-monthly, so there's two a month. They're usually on a Thursday, but um, again, with kind of what's going on <laughs> in the world, and the pandemic, you never know. But Absolutely. We're, we're trying to have people here in our office twice, uh, at least twice a month. And you know, if you speak a second language, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm sure we could use it in some some fashion. We again, we've helped people from thirty different countries. So translators, interpreters are um, a great help to organization. Um, obviously, donations, but you know, it's it's tough to you know, if you can spare a dollar. We you know, obviously really really appreciate it. But just 
I think overall just staying informed and getting the word out there, you know, talk to a friend about asylum and you just, you just never know what situation somebody's in and just getting the word out. Um, we're obviously on social media. You can follow us, you know, at LGBT Asylum Project on, on Instagram and find us on Facebook and um, just stay up to date on what's going on. It's again, really helpful to tell, tell people what asylum is a thing and you might be available for it. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much, Ranjas. This has been, like I said, absolutely incredible. We so appreciate your time. You guys know all know what to do now. You need to make sure you're following the LGBT Asylum Project. Stay educated. Get out there. Vote. Make your voice heard and kind of share the word from um, our chat today. Thank you so much. We look forward to uh, connecting with you in the future. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Thank you. Have a great day.